What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis. With me this week is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and this week we're going to be talking about making NPCs and what house rules we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as well, not as long, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. But before we get to that, Allie, how are your games this week? Um, they they didn't happen. <laughs> oh, we didn't really yeah, do much. Say, um, I feel like we could have skipped this thing because both of us are like, eh, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. This this week was kind of like a bust as far as gaming goes. I think between everyone just being busy and and just I I had finals and it was it's a yep. it's a lot. And, and that and that happens. The, the that's a thing with D and mean, like everyone says, the number one villain of any campaign is scheduling. Uh, and uh, <laughs> sometimes sometimes that happens. For for me, it, uh, it, it comes down to uh, I, we had to move this week's game, so we're playing later in the week, so I haven't actually played since then. But oh. my players did want me to... One of my players wanted me to make an amendment to last week's <laughs> story. So St. James's character, Uthal, got that uh, uh, the, the abyssal chicken right. and that, that larva nasty slug man face right, thing. Right, that guy. Yeah, I forgot, uh, for, he he's, he said I neglected to name them, which he did very quickly. The Abyssal Chicken is Colonel Danders, <laughs> and the uh, larva with the human face is Dave. Okay, Just I get Dave. it. Just Dave. Like, yeah, yep. yeah. 100% yep. here for Dave, wanted me to man. make sure that I got that in for the for the lore of Golden Pals to continue through this show <laughs> and that it be accurate. So there you go. <laughs> so I don't uh, know if I've ever mentioned it on here, but that just kind of reminded me because it's a hideous creature with a name. Um, you remember Malk, the, the oh God. weird cat oh, thing oh, with... Yeah eduardo's face on it yeah so it was this really really kind of interesting magical item in pathfinder one where it was like yeah it's like this little tiny uh like coffin and inside of it is like this cat who has your exact human face on it (laughs) and we're like that's disgusting we all hate it and if you if it dies it regrows in the coffin um yeah eduardo and Dusty called it Mulk. And we're like, great. <laughs> However, <laughs> when trying to come up with a name for my big bad in my Neverwinter campaign, mm-hmm. I actually had a stroke of genius. I'm like, I'm going to, what's something that I, I'd really dislike? And I'm like, I don't like Mulk. I'm like, oh, Malkanis. That's going to be his name. His name is Lucian Malkanis. And every time I, that name was brought up, Spencer would just kind of be like, oh, God, <laughs> every time. <laughs> I don't know if I ever shared hey, that on this show, but. <laughs> I've, that's very relevant for a topic coming up. So I feel like that's that's good timing for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, na- name your villains after the nasty things your fellow players make. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, let's hop over into the broadsheets. Um, this week, uh, Dungeons or Wizards announced the Dungeons Master Screen Wilderness Kit, which is freaking cool as all hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this no, it's is, totally awesome. Yeah, it's it's a it's got a DM screen in it with some 
gorgeous artwork of like forest, mountain, dragons, and all that fun stuff. But it's a kit. Uh, so it also uh, comes with five dry erase sheets featuring hex maps, a food and water tracker, and rules uh, reference parentheses, wilderness chase, uh, wilderness journeys, and actions you can take in combat. Uh, as well as 27 cards that um, make it easy to keep track of conditions, initiative, and environmental effects. And it also comes with a box to hold all those cards. This sounds a lot like some of the stuff that came in the Essentials kit. Yeah. Uh, which I'm not upset about. They're cool. <laughs> um, I, I'm especially excited uh, about the fact that it has this dry erase hex map. Because uh, mm -hmm. it's just like normal paper size from what the image looks like. So it's just something really quick that you can take out to do, you know, that that zoomed out uh, travel. And it's like, all right, each one of these hexes is, is 10 miles and you just, you know, squiggle in some trees and whatnot. I think I think that's going to oh, yeah. be pretty cool. Definitely. I mean, take it from someone who has the the uh, the un you know how you get the fold out like Dungeon Master grid. Mm -hmm. the yeah so it's like i bust that out all the time and it's only that size yeah. and so i can imagine how useful like that would be to showcase a larger map um especially if they're in like a wild marches campaign or something like that where the it's totally undiscovered and there's not actually mm -hmm. a map i think that'd be yeah. really neat um and something like tristan falcone actually the person who did uh who played what was it Walnut Dauntgrass. Yeah. <laughs> they actually worked on this too. Yeah, no, I, I saw their, their their tweet about that. How like <laughs> they were like, I'm uh, I'm the forever druid, so this was a perfect project for me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, but I do like that they're bringing the cards from the essentials kit into a uh, I don't know the right, right word. It's just another product. Like in the essentials kit, I know there's that view is like, oh, it's for beginners and whatnot, even though it's really not. Um but I like that there's now another way to get that without uh, maybe a bunch of stuff that you're not going to use. Yeah. I mean, like, seeing this kind of makes me wonder if eventually we're going to get, like, a magic item kit. Because it feels like as if they're slowly breaking mm. down pieces of the DMG into individual, like, pieces. Yeah. That and could be cool. Yeah. It would actually... Can you imagine? Because a lot of people do get the DMG just for the magic item list. And so it's like having... Yep that at your disposal and just that and being able to buy it along with some handy cards well, like, that'd be cool um right here in my hand that the listeners can't see because this is a podcast uh, -huh. uh i have the the quest cards uh that we we talked about this game a little bit and uh i bought the adventure deck which has a bunch of uh monsters in it but also has every single magic item that's in the book in a little tarot sized card uh, that tells you everything on it and i think that is that's a fantastic so cool. way to do things um, yeah and i know that w when we did games at the bookstore for the essentials kit when i got to hand someone the, the flame tongue sword they were like oh cool like this is the, I, I got it this is a physical thing so i th mm -hmm. i think that'd be pretty neat Oh, yeah. I mean, there is something about having physical cards to represent items and stuff. Like, if you can't do props, yeah. the next best thing is a literal thing to make it so your players don't have to write anything down. <laughs> Dang it, wizards. I'm not Eric Jordan. Let me buy things. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um Oh yeah, uh, and uh, that is going to be out on November 17th, and it looks like it's retailing for like 25 bucks, which, not that bad. Uh, I think the normal DM, the screen was like 15 so not that much yeah 
Uh, next piece of news, which was unexpected, uh, well, slightly, uh, <laughs> Magic the Gathering is going to make a D&D, uh, card set next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I say it was slightly not expected because as soon as they were like, we're making a Ravnica book, everyone's like, well, so you're going to do a D&D card set at some point, right? <laughs> I think it was just the more of like the timing of like, yeah, just, uh, you know, a random Tuesday, we're going to announce uh, that we're making D&D cards with a bunch of other announcements. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, I'm personally rather excited about it. I, I enjoy Magic the Gathering. I enjoy mm-hmm. D&D lore and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um, and this just gives me a, a chance to just dive into that lore even a little bit more. I'm excited to see if they're going to go down an already known story path or if they're going to create whole new characters and stuff for this. And if they're going to make like Mordecai in a planeswalker, because how neat would that be? <laughs> oh my God, I'd lose it. And oh like kind of accurate, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, like, I, I think I'm, it would just be really neat. I'm excited because, yeah, I, I do like Magic the Gathering, and I like D&D. You slam them together, and like, oh, cool, neat. But, like, I have had a problem with Magic as of recently with some of the ways they've gone about handling things. Oh, yeah, you're not uh, alone. <laughs> yeah, and so I I that has tampered, or not tampered, uh, tempered my, my excitement on it because... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, now, like, I, I hear this, I'm like, oh, cool, how uh, how, how much are you going to have to pay to get some stupid rare that isn't really, like, it's it's good, but it's not worth paying all the money for. Like, basically, it's how much is this going to cost, and are you going to add on extra things that make it so it's harder to get the really cool stuff? Yeah. So, I, I'm... I want. I'm waiting to see. I'm, I'm not gonna make any expectations, though. Mordecai as a planeswalker would be freaking awesome. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. It looks like it's coming out towards uh, late summer, early fall yeah, next year. It's in their quarter so three of uh, 2021. Oh yeah, yeah. So that 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 could be it could be around there. Mm-hmm. Um, last piece of news is oh, this is a fun one. Lazap. Lab, I, I, this for, this Idle Champions character's name. It's a goblin name. Lazaps, Lazaps. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to say things. Uh, <laughs> that's why, that's why we started a podcast because I can't, can't speak. Um, yeah. So Idle Champions announced a new champion that is coming next week. Uh, it is a goblin artificer uh, from Eberron, and uh, yeah, it arrives sometime uh, next week. And uh, you can go get. The, the, it's pretty cool. Like the 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 image they showed is this goblin basically in a Hulkbuster. Yeah, and I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play that character in, in in the actual at the table game. Um, so yeah, th- this is the second in a row character that they made though that is uh, original to them. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I like that no, they uh, that they're keeping ones. this trend of bringing. Yeah, I like this trend that they're bringing in more uh, original uh, champions. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the you know legendary heroes and the you know all the streamers characters and everything. But I I, I like to see what they're they're coming up with. So that's really mm-hmm. neat. Speaking of idol champions, let's give out some champions loot. Uh, this is the part of the show where we get about a code and you can put it into any idol champions. Well, you put it into idol champions on any of the numerous platforms that it is available on uh, and get a free gold chest. Uh, this week's code is V A L E S O W S O 
F-F-Y. Put that in, get some loot, upgrade your characters, kick evil's button, then take a screenshot and you know show us what you got, because we like seeing what you get. Get those purples, getting those shannies. Veil so's <laughs> offy. Veil <laughs> so's offy. That we, you can make spell names out of some of these codes. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into the first topic, uh, which is making NPCs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Ali, how do you go about making NPCs? Well, well uh, actually, re- before we do that, do we want to say like on the fly or like premeditated ones? I was just gonna say there's like two different kind of NPCs that you make. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's yep. Boblin the Goblin because your party asked the name. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's the NPC that you have a full actual fleshed out character sheet for that you had mm-hmm. planned ahead of time in, for ages. Um, and like, I think some of my players would say it's one of my favorite pastimes is to come up with NPCs, but that's just because not necessarily because I have a billion characters that I want to make, but because I like making characters in the world that we've made because mm-hmm. I'm actually not that kind of person. I, If I had a D&D Beyond subscription, I would have a total of like six characters made, and that's all the characters I've played in the past campaigns. <laughs> I wouldn't Should I pull have... up how many characters I have? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have like 76 or however many that one person has. That was like the, the max number someone has. It was like 1,500. Oh, I think it was like 16,000. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a lot of, that's a lot of freaking characters mm-hmm. um but yeah I have 29 pretty, to be fair 29 okay all right <laughs> but then again you have been playing a lot of one shots so <laughs> yeah yeah that's true um but yeah like i pretty much my npc like build up breaks down into two those two categories which is just like the on the fly you have to do something and then the other half is like people you've actually have established are in that place or we're going mm-hmm. to be there and that you have thought ahead of time. Um, sometimes I, it's a little bit of both, where it's like, oh, there's definitely yeah. a shopkeep here. Don't ask me what they are <laughs> or what their name <laughs> is, but there's definitely a shopkeep there. Um, there's definitely a mayor of this town. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> His name is Mr. Mayor. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the mayor. <laughs> you know, like Powerpuff Girls, we're going to do that. It's <laughs> Oh, God. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's pretty much how my NPCs break down. It's just those two very simple categories. <laughs> so let, let's take the, the on the fly one first. How do you make a NPC on the fly? What What is your usual thought process for that? Um, for me, it usually depends on what the characters are doing. Because if the characters are, for example, trying to investigate something or if they're, well, let's, let's stick with if they're trying to investigate something like a clue or, or murder or what have you. Um, and they go up and they interview someone. They're like, well, I want to knock on this door and I want to I see who lives here because they're next door to the murder scene. It's like, okay. Then I have to think, okay, so immediately I have to wonder what information does this person know? How trustworthy mm-hmm. can they be of strangers? And are they a nice person? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you could be a nice person, but totally not be trustworthy of people you don't know at all. And yeah. you could be a mean person, but you could totally trust well-meaning adventurers that are trying to solve a murder of your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So it's like just kind of getting an idea of 
those three things can really solidify very quickly <laughs> an NPC I had to make on the fly because I wasn't planning on them asking the neighbors. That's a smart idea. I didn't think of that. <laughs> but my players obviously did. So it's like mm-hmm. I have to consider just those three things. Oftentimes, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say, oh, yeah, I come up with all those three things in a second and I automatically know. Oftentimes, my players say, we're going to knock on the door. I'll be like, okay, guys, um, give me a second. And then I'll take like a minute to just write down these things on an actual sticky note so I have it on a paper in front of me. <laughs> so when I'm answering these questions, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, you might have noticed that one of those three things wasn't a name or their race or their gender or what have you. <laughs> That kind of just is uh, random. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. I kind of roll a d6, and I'm like, yeah, they're this. <laughs> or yep. it's like, yeah, it's a it's like, what I haven't I said in a while? I haven't said a half-orc. Yeah, they're a half-orc. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just pick out from the race pile, and I just kind of say, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. they're this. <laughs> um, yep. And name, I usually ask for help. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's um, why I printed out that giant list of names in my DM binder. Oh yeah, that's why Ben carries around a baby book. I know that it's it's because you you just <laughs> you have to be prepared. Um, I often like what's this I, goblin's I write down the name? Ben? <laughs> it's like what's this goblin's name? Ben Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oftentimes I'll like write down the three things on the sticky note, and I'll look up and I'll be like, uh, Spencer, can you give me the the Xanathar's guide? Because it has all the names in the back. Mm-hmm. And then once oh, I yeah, figure yeah, that out, true. I'm like, there you go. That That's a full fleshed out NPC. I know who they are, what their uh, issues are, and how much they're willing to help these guys. But that could be applied to more than just like um, murder investigations, of course. Like if they're going to a shopkeep. Like mm-hmm. is the shopkeep well? Is the, is Are they like dirty are they doing something that they shouldn't be are they like a totally upstanding citizen that follows every single sentence of the law it's like Mm -hmm. coming up with just following those three sentences like or those three questions really helped me figure out how to do on the fly npcs um it it pretty much that's 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 how i go about it i i genuinely ask my players give me a minute And then I compose myself because I'm not that much of a master of improv to be like, immediately, I know this person's whole life. <laughs> oh, oh, man, I choked on my own words. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not going to say I am a master of improv in any way, shape or form, but I I will start playing the character before I know their backstory or anything like that. And I might build it out just through word vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about like, what's the easiest way for me to describe how I make NPCs on the fly? And it basically goes to this. I put it in, I choose from a category of three things. Are they helpful? Are they an obstacle? Are they both? Ooh, and I like that. So if it's an obstacle, like, it, yeah, they're going to either be grumpy or, you know, you know, disinterested or angry or any kind of mood that's not going to help the adventurers at the time. And I will figure out some way as I'm playing them of why they're this way or uh, whatnot or what they what their current motivation or goal is. If they're helpful. They're just helpful, and I just make like a, a, a chill character or just uh, one that you wouldn't remember. Just like, uh, you know, Joe Schmo, 
Like, like mm-hmm. it, there, there's nothing about like they might go up to a, a barkeep, not ask the name or anything like that. But I didn't, <laughs> for some reason, be like, oh yeah, they're gonna go into a tavern and ask questions. So I just have was like, oh yeah, no, they're uh, they're they're over there. Uh, do, do you need a drink? No, you're good. All right, cool. Like I'll just do something very blase. D- background character doesn't matter. Oh yeah. If I do, if I do both. <laughs> <laughs> That means they're going to be annoying. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, but what kind of annoying? Um, and so, like, I've, I've gone from everything to, like, just being, like, extremely, like, ditzy. Just, just like, oh, my God. Like, that's so cool. What is it? Oh, yeah. A sword? No, I don't know anything about a sword. You should go get that really pointy thing over there, though. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, I... I I will, it's like, okay, they're going to be helpful, but it, I, I don't want them to get it that easily, but I also don't want the possibility of a fight. I'll just make them annoying. Like, I've also done it where, like, I had a, I had a very old gnome woman who moved like the sloths in Zootopia. <laughs> and I acted it out at the table. <laughs> you know, sometimes those NPCs, you, you got to pay attention to how the group reacts. If they're enjoying how annoyed they're getting that's a reoccurring character you can throw at them well and see that's the thing that's kind of how most of my reoccurring npcs get made are generally from that list Mm -hmm. um because and i think that's probably because those ones get the most amount of personality and comedic effect so those are the ones that players end up wanting to see more. Um, I, on on Dungeon Driver a long time ago, I talked about the NPC that I bring almost into everything, which is Driftwood. Yeah. And that literally started with that thought process where Ike's character went, he's like, I'm going to look for a, a, a mystic, some kind of fortune teller to, you know, read the future of like what's going on with this. And I'm like, that's a really cool idea. And I really like that but I also don't want to just give you information for free. What could I do that would make this very inconvenient for him? He's drunk. Done. So then I just started (laughs) acting like a drunk wizard. And then they, uh, uh, like 40 minutes later, the dude was on their boat and lives there now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, you, you, you were saying Boblin the Goblin. Yeah. Like, uh, the Golden Pals have Garlock, who has literally been their friend since session one on the road to Fandolin, when they're like, all right, we're going to take this one prisoner so he can tell us where the rest of them are. And then they ended up being nice to him. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, damn it. All right. And so, like, I slowly made Garlock be, like, this, like, goblin that realized, like, oh, friends don't try to kill each other. Oh. Oh, I like this. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, it be and because they had played it this way, like I ended up like one of my favorite ones is there's this part where there's a bridge and there's a bunch of goblins running at them and Herc and Uthal are trying to like tip the bridge over while the goblins are on it to send them down and they were rolling like fours, Ooh. just terrible. And then I was like, okay, I really like their idea for this. I want to have it succeed, but I want to add something to the story. And so the bridge flips and they're like, what the hell? How did that happen? And they turn and look and Garlock's hands are glowing. Ooh. And he goes, I, I, I had him go, why are you tall ones? So, so weak. Um, <laughs> and essentially from there, I was like, oh, Garlock has magic. Garlock's a sorcerer. 
okay. And so I just started building out and going from there and mm-hmm. just continuing this storyline with him while continuing the player storylines. Oh, I, yeah. I went on a really long tangent there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that actually kind of brings me into like a next advice is that if you love an NPC as the DM, but you notice your players aren't interested in them, try not to force them into the story. Oh, yeah, please don't. Don't do that. The players will either dislike them more than you could have ever anticipated, or they'll have no interest in... It could be even in a worse situation where because you liked the NPC so much, you laid in important plot information within their character, and now the characters have no interest in them. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I... I, I saw this happen on Dice Camera Action a long, long time ago. Chris Chris Perkins had uh, an NPC that was like kind of very obviously the the plot hook, but like one of the players just decided they did not like this NPC, and so all of them started not liking him. Yep. I think they ended up accidentally getting him killed. <laughs> like, like it was so very obvious. I was just like, I really don't like this NPC. No. And, uh, oh, no. and <laughs> kept showing up, but I think he ended up dying. But uh, but yeah, like I, I've I don't think I have ever pre like I don't think I've ever had one where I'm like I know the players are gonna love this one. I think there was like one time, and it was with you all with the dragon turtle. I was just gonna bring like, that up. There is one time. <laughs> yeah, no, there there was one time because I remember. Tar and I were at uh, a local game store and they had a, a dragon turtle mini. And I went, I should buy that. And she goes, why? I'm like, because one's coming up and the entire group is going to fall in love with it and try and get it out of the predicament it's in. And you all did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of effort put into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, there, n- there's NPCs that like I have had for a long time. That I'll work on. And I think that's where I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in the making them ahead of time. But um, as far as uh, making them on the fly, y- you just never know. Like, you never, you mm-hmm. just do stuff. Like, that's the thing. It's like, if you are making them up on the fly, you're less hurt when the players don't like them. And you're like, you know what? You're right. That that NPC is kind of a douche. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get rid of him. Let's chuck him. <laughs> um, so... That I, I find like that's probably my favorite way of making NPCs purely because I don't have that moment to get attached to them and have like, oh, you don't like them. Oh, damn it. I'm mm-hmm. hurt now. <laughs> oh, yeah. What about you? No, I, yeah. it's When I make them on the spot, I think I only ever got like really attached once to an NPC that I made that they didn't like. They, it's not like they hated them, but they just didn't care at all about mm-hmm. this NPC. And I'm like, all right. They'll just be in the background in my head, 100% secure, um, but he's not going to be like in the foreshadow at all unless they come back to this place. My players end up doing that with uh, actual like established characters in the D&D world where like I'll describe like, uh, I haven't done this, but like it'll be like freaking Mordekainen's just hanging out in, in a tavern. And I describe them all cool and they're like, yeah, he looks stupid. I'm going to keep going. I'll just be like, ah, 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 let's do we saw go to, uh, Oh what? yeah. <laughs> I think Actually, I think that's a great point to bring up because I the, my players have fought alongside Brunor Battlehammer. Yeah. And I think because 
it wasn't necessarily my character and that I came in there with already an established, like, this is how he acts and everything like that. And it's not what I made up. I think I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to portray him as genuine as I would have been to where I, as a person, not even as a DM, but I love Brunor. He's pretty fun. (laughs) Um, But I don't think my players felt that same love because I was already there. Like I already sold myself. I didn't need to sell like Brunor to myself anymore. But yeah, I, I think because I already had that established love for that character, I didn't, I wouldn't say try hard enough, but I didn't do it in the right way. To sell okay. it for them. And so they uh, ended yeah. up just kind of being like, eh, okay, well, he's a king, I guess. We'll we'll come back to him if we need help. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, because like, I, I, the, I think the first, the first two established D&D world characters I ever had in Golden Pals was Volo and Minsk. And they were hanging out together. And I did accents and big bombastic voices for both of them. So I think that's why, like, my players fell in love with them and, like, always wanted Minsk around no matter what. Because mm-hmm. I was just, I, I made them a presence, I guess. Yeah. But there's definitely been other NPCs where they're just like, eh, whatever. But they love Vajra, which makes me happy because oh, I just love Vajra so yeah. too much. <laughs> it's um, funny, I have uh, introduced my sorry, players to Jarlaxel. However, the fun thing is they don't know that they did. Hey, I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> but they love this NPC. They're like, whoa. They don't necessarily love him as like characters, like as players. Like, man, this guy's like super mysterious. Like, we don't know where he's from. He seems kind of like like a rough kind of pirate dude. And it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> and so, like, that's fun as a DM because, uh, interestingly enough, I had to make up his persona that he was pretending to be on the fly, knowing yeah. his real person yeah. behind that. <laughs> I uh, I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna say too much here. But uh, one of my players actually has an item of Jarlaxels and doesn't know it. Ooh. Um. Uh, yeah. I I love doing crap like that. Yeah. Um. I think we I think we could do a whole topic about using established characters in Probably. there. Uh but let, let let let's let's keep it on the making the NPC thing. So let, let's let's transition to over like actually making them ahead of time and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What what's your strategy for this? Um so I separate pre-generated NPCs essentially into two categories. Will they ever be in a situation to fight? Or won't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because depending on the answer to that, I'll go into two very different NPC making modes. Like um, I mentioned earlier, I'm not the kind of person to sit there and make characters all day. And so if I have a character that I know is like, I'm here to help you guys fight. To me, I have to make a new character. <laughs> oh, so you actually make a character sheet. Yeah, I've tried <clears throat> doing it to where... Um, like, oh, they have these abilities kind of based off of a monster stat block and uh, or like an NPC stat block, but they kind of seem lackluster. And for all that we've chalked them up to be uh, like, for example, I'll take um, who, who let's say General Knox. I mm-hmm. actually made a character sheet for him. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. And like he's this general of the vanguard of Neverwinter and like. He's he's commanding all these troops. He's training all these people. He has to be more than just like 
the champion stat block from <laughs> from the monster's handbook, right? So it's mm-hmm. like I actually wanted him to feel like he was more than that. So like on his turn, I gave him a lot more options and I gave him I made him feel like a real character um, that this was an adventurer that just happened mm-hmm. to settle down. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the the tricky part, I guess you could say, is like I separate them into are they adventurers where they do have like hit dice and all these things, or mm-hmm. are they not adventurers? <laughs> to where like, and that could include like a king to even the um, person who takes care of the house to the alchemist who makes health potions for you. It's like, but then the people who are adventurers, it's like, well, that's uh, the paladin's cleric wife who will not leave him alone because he decided to be stupid. And it's the uh, three elves that came along with your party because they also want to see Lucian Malcanus dead. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, these three elves obviously like are super worthy of being adventurers just like these guys are. So I wanted to make sure that they weren't lagging behind and they weren't like, oh, well, we're obviously better than them. So why are they even here? kind of feeling (laughs) Mm -hmm. which um i guess like minor segue be careful of that because you don't want your players to feel like as if you're also playing with them or i mean because you are but that you are playing over them i guess is the better way to say it so um i i changed up how i run npcs because of this yeah um yeah because i i found that whenever i was running a character and i had their stats and i was running next to them and i'm like all right like let's just say art december because you know he he was there with them for a while mm-hmm. like in the the tomb of annihilation game i'd have him he was like all right he's gonna go up and he's gonna swing all right i roll my die all right add the modifier all right looks like he hits all right i'm gonna grab that we're gonna roll that all right and he does that amount of damage all right cool now it's your guys' turn. I got so tired of that <laughs> so fast, and I could see that yeah. like my players even forgot that the NPCs were there. Um, and I actually did in that uh uh set, that campaign as well. They had their guide Kawasha, and I made a character sheet for him. I made a full on character sheet and all that good stuff. Gave him feats because that's me. Um, and I never used it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, like I'd get in there and be like this is I don't need to be playing this character I don't need to be doing that I know what damages an NPC can do to help so why don't I just make them look cool and just roll a die real quick and see if what happens so now I'm to the point I actually don't have stats for most ally NPCs if there's a villain, if like uh, if there's an NPC and it's secretly a villain, I have their stats. I know what they're doing and all that stuff. Um, but like when I had Minsk, I never once had a character sheet. I didn't have a stat block. I had them. I had them fighting alongside um, uh, the the Golden Pals at one point, and I just roll a d20. I'm like, all right, fifteen. He'd have a modifier good enough to hit that. So all right, no, he's gonna do nine damage. There you go. And so like I would just go through like that but i would describe i'd worry about the description more 
where I'd be like, I, I describe it just like Minsk just goes running past you, barreling into combat with his sword over his shoulder. I will kick evil's butt, and then I'd have him do something <laughs> cool. Um, mm. and I would worry about that instead of deciding on a character sheet what I'm gonna have him do. And they always ended up thinking that was cooler. And but then when I ran Vajra, I used her stat block because she's, cause she's really cool and she deserves yeah. it. <laughs> See, like that's an excellent point though because at the end you're trying to orchestrate this entire combat situation especially if you're in combat and Mm -hmm. more often than not you're already bogged down with like six monsters of some sort or six bad guys and it's like well now you also have to deal with yourself also dealing with these bad guys and like i've gotten to that point but I always find myself wanting more, weirdly. Because, like, you know how I told you I used to do all the monsters that I'd have in that game, like, on an index card? Like, each monster would have mm-hmm. their index card? That yeah. would be the same for the NPCs. I have an, an NPC Harper Eric index card, but it got so full. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I, I, now I have. Huh. And so, like, I end up just, like, kind of going the full way but 100% I do find myself sometimes especially like in middle of combat if I have six players and they're doing stuff and they three of them have pets it's like yeah no I'm gonna expedite this character's turn he's gonna jump over these tents he's gonna throw his knives and he dealt damage or Mm -hmm. like with Tomb of Annihilation uh the group has dragon bait artisanber and God, I can't remember her name right now off the top of my head. The the tiger. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name right now either. They almost picked her. I was really Ashoka. Ahsoka. Ahsoka. I think is her name. Um, Ahsoka's from Star Wars, but close enough. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very close to that. Um, yeah. So it's like, she's a were-tiger. She can't really be harmed unless these people got magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't I don't even track her health at all. I don't track the Mm-mm. NPC's health unless like they're purposely going out of their way to protect the PCs. Mm-hmm. Cause like, oh yeah, no, uh artists took that hit for you and you can see that he's hurt. Cause like that's the only time I'll really describe them getting hit is cause most of the time I have my NPCs, if they do go into battle, be a support for the players. Yeah. And so when I build NPCs, going back, I guess, to our main topic, I try to keep that in mind. So, like, Sergeant Knox, sure, he was this huge, like, essentially great weapon fighter, but he's also a battle master. He's doing all he can to make it so that way these players can do more than they usually could because he's there. Yeah. And I try I, uh... to do that with my other NPCs, too. Uh, essentially when it when it comes down to it if i'm making an npc ahead of time i think i'm thinking more about their story and how they're connected to the current plot yeah. uh than what they can do because most of the time it's not going to matter and i don't think should matter because again the players are the main characters you don't want to have a, a Justice League uh situation where like all of a sudden superman comes in and there's no problem anymore um, <laughs> so 
Like, like, like with Minsk, like I, the, he was in another fight at one point, and because I have the thing where I'm like, I don't really care about the stats and whatnot. I had it uh, that one of the bad things attacked Minsk and actually knocked him on the ground and knocked his sword away. And so that became the problem that the players were now focusing on. Because I'm like, all right, it's Minsk's turn. You guys look over and he's on the ground reaching for his great sword going, it's fine, fine, boo, get sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so like they then focused on that. So I, I mixed up the combat by just having him there doing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I did want to say, though, uh, is this is just how we do this. Like if you are the kind that does want to make the character sheet for every single one of them. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. This is purely how we do it and how we're thinking of it. Oh, yeah. Um, And that said, I do want to say something that I do quite a bit. Ask before you do this, but I've 100% used other players' characters all over my games. (laughs) Like, like, like... You you have two characters that are established in my world that I have used in uh, plenty of stories and campaigns and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I so far I've never had a player with a problem doing it because most of the time the, like I I I I love doing it because sometimes I've had players go hey how's that guy doing yeah <laughs> and I'm like oh check out all this stuff that just happened with them and like I'll I'll r- ramble on what happened to their character recently and stuff like that. Um, I, I I really enjoy doing that um, uh, because one I don't have to doing more writing I know who they are. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and um, and and if I ever have any questions about abilities and stuff, I can always just text that player and be like, "Hey, uh, could they have done this?" Or better yet, on D and D Beyond, how it's going lately, I can just pull up their character sheet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean like that also is really a lot of fun for if you're the type of person to go from campaign book to campaign book. Mm-hmm. And like technically, uh, Tyranny of Dragons happens like a year before Storm King's Thunder, and so yep. like if those heroes that took down Tiamat and stopped the ritual at the Will of Dragons, like, minor spoilers, um, then like it's very very possible that these people who are trying to stop the uh, the giants from causing havoc throughout the northern of the Sword Coast, it's like, yeah, they, they might actually hear from these heroes, especially if they mm-hmm. deal with people from like um from Waterdeep and stuff like that too, because yeah, they're you're you're probably gonna have high chances of running into them. And that can go from like book to book too, which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I love doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um but yeah, so that's uh, that's how we make some of our NPCs. If we didn't answer a specific uh, question or you have a, more questions about how we do certain things that we talked about here, you can send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com and we'll talk about them on a future episode. But let's move over into our DC Spotlight of the Week. And this one uh, is a freebie. Uh, yeah. So uh, currently there is... Uh, the, well, I'll just tell you the name of the supplement. is the Wagadu Chronicles. Uh, they have a Twitter account right now and uh, an upcoming Kickstarter. And uh, on their actual website, uh, when asking, like, what is the Wagadu Chronicles, uh, it, they say that it is a setting for uh, D&D 5th edition, uh, but it is also uh, going to be an isometric MMO at some point. So that's Ooh. what the Kickstarter is for. So they're really building out this this thing. Um, and there, uh, it is a, uh, what, they're, uh, what they call an Afro-fantasy setting. And I've been obsessed with every piece of artwork that is in here. I love it. Yes. Um, and I, was, I did want to read real quick uh, this little 
paragraph they have on their website about the world. Uh, Wagadu's map is not stable, but locations shift, appear, and disappear all the time. Every time a new cycle of people fall, things change. Some places seem to persist through most cycles, such as the uh, Thunder Falls and the City of a Thousand Gods. How can you hear that and not get excited? Dude, that sounds so cool. <laughs> and and you, and listener, you might be like, hey, I'm, I, that, the, you're saying things that I like. How do I get this? So check this out. On their Twitter account, they uh, have a uh, link. You sign up for their newsletter. You give them an email. Uh, and the first email they send you has a over 300-page supplement for this world in it. For free. 300? 300. Oh, my God. And, yeah. And, you know, they'll send they'll send you updates about the Kickstarter and stuff and whatnot and like that. And, you know, if, if <laughs> I guess if you're like, I don't want to give up my email, make another email. I have a billion of emails. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is I, – I looked at it uh, this morning, and it is – so freaking cool like i said the artwork is amazing in here and it is 300 plus pages of content and an amazing place i cannot wait to see what more they do with this and i'd love to see more settings like this oh yeah no that Uh, just sounds so cool yeah uh, so yeah, uh, we'll we'll tweet out all the all the stuff and whatnot. And the uh, I I made sure with uh, the people behind this uh, this uh, free supplement thing is going through November. So uh, if you're listening to this past November 2020, well, congratulations, you made it uh, out of this hell storm of a year. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, you missed your chance on that. But uh, go ahead and check them out and see what they're doing now, because like I said, I think they're going to be doing some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's move on to topic number two, which is house rules. Yeah. Thought it'd be a fun one of doing like making up crap on the fly. <laughs> and so house rules popped up in there. Um, and Allie and I, we, we both have a list of what we can remember are the house rules that we do. It's hard when you have to think about so them hard. out of game. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I did a, I think I did an episode of this on Dungeon Driver and I only said like two of them. <laughs> and I was like I don't remember their things. And um I mean some of them I don't even get reminded about until I'm with a new I'm playing with a new player and I do something they're like whoa 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 that's not how it goes and I just like I go it is at this table. Uh <laughs> So I thought it would be cool if we talk about what house rules we use or at least we remember we use and why we use them. Okay. Um, do you want to just go back and forth? Like, what, uh, like you could do one, I do one. You want to do it like that? Yeah. Um, mm. So the first one I'm going to start with is uh, something that I actually want to bring up. How I, I want to adjust this house rule, but I don't know how to go about it. Oh. Oh. Um, flanking. <laughs> ah. Now, it's a 4E concept, and it's... It, it was helpful in 4E, and the downside is that there's a lot of things in 5th edition that either get way too much benefit from it or are made mm-hmm. redundant because of it. Mm-hmm. And we had flanking initially homeworld in our game because a lot of us came from 4E, and we were just kind of comfortable with it. And in my head as a DM... It was in our Tyranny of Dragons game. Yeah. like, And in my head, I was thinking, oh, it'll be a great way to have the board move around a lot more. Because something that I always try to find is how to get people to move more like on a game mm. map. And however, I keep finding myself, like especially in your game, saying no flanking in this one, guys. 
because I'm trying, mm-hmm. I want to lean away from it. But yeah. um, something that I heard recently was actually uh, XP to level three's house rule um, video. And in there, he actually mentioned flanking. And it wasn't just you're there and you make it. It's actually a check. Oh. And I'm trying to think, like, what would actually be a pretty decent way of doing it? And would it require any kind of action economy to do so? And I'm trying to think, I like, think what, I w- what would be balanced? <laughs> um. Well, what kind of check was it that they did? Did they say? Um. No, in the video they didn't. But in my head, I can only imagine it would be either, like, honestly up to the player and how they describe what they're doing because flanking in the end just means that the person who's being flanked has two things to focus on and whether that be through distraction or through like literally being imposed on by two large figures it's like i think that really depends on what kind of check the players would want to choose yeah i mean essentially what you're doing is taking the help action making it a check and so because the normal help action is you get you give the other person advantage for free, what I would in my head go with is, yeah, it costs a check, but you can do it as a bonus action. And I, I, um, I think that's super fair because, yeah, you're very right. Like a whole action is a guaranteed advantage. Yes. And you still and, have and to be. And I feel like that's kind of where the balance comes from. Yeah. Like and you still have to be right next to them within five feet. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I like, would. I, I play uh, with probably flanking. Steal, I don't know. It's. Like, I'd I'd probably steal from Pathfinder with the way that they set some DCs, like for like characters. Mm-hmm. Like I think if I were gonna do that, it would be uh like, uh wisdom save plus ten, like that would be the DC of whatever they're fighting against. Um, to like kind of set them off balance in some way, just mentally. Yeah, and like, and that's kind of the thing too, because like all of a sudden I wish, harking back to four E, that there was like a will save or something where it's like, oh, you are yeah. being surrounded by two people, especially if they choose to do I, like a distraction check of some sort. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I, I know there's plenty of RPGs out there that I haven't read. I'm trying. I have Dungeon World over there right now. Uh, but man, I feel like the RPG community is really sleeping on fourth editions, uh, reflex, fortitude and will targets mm-hmm. instead of it being a rolled save that they, you roll against a stat that they have. I really loved that one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't use flanking be- uh, because of the, what you're talking about where it was like, it started to become too imbalanced. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's fun to just say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have um, made it to where like, if it's a, if it's larger than a medium sized creature, you can't flank it really. Unless yeah, you are also sense. larger than medium. Yeah. So like yeah, dragons, it, it, giants. It, it always no. yeah. I I remember one time in fourth edition having a, a a giant thing on the table and two people being on the other side, almost completely on the other side of the table, and being like, "We got flanking." I'm like, "You don't even know he's over there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see shit." Exactly. Um, so uh, so my my first one that I'm gonna talk about is I do not give a shit about how many spells you want to cast on a turn. If you have an action to cast a spell, cast the spell. I do not care. I but here here's gonna be the the underlying message across uh, uh, all mine at least. That goes for the bad guys too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's a really important thing to 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 point out is that 
Um, I legitimately can't think of a house rule that I have that doesn't go both ways. Uh, that doesn't work for the player and the monsters. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I keep that balance. Like, uh, it's like, oh, you're a sorcerer and uh, you you sent off two fireballs in one turn. Oh, that's cute. Uh, Valindra's gonna do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually haven't made a uh, sorcerer bad guy yet, and I'm like thinking, oh man, Marcos is gonna flip when all of a sudden I start quick and hasting, like cooking spell yeah. hasting and doing all this bullshit that he usually does. <laughs> yeah, because I have the same yeah. house rule. I, I 100% believe that like if you have the ability to cast a magic that is like, oh, it only costs a bonus action. It's like, well, why why can't you? <laughs> yeah, and and, the, and, and that's kind of why I did that. Uh, well, originally it came out of pure ignorance. I never read that rule. Oh. <laughs> and... I just was like, yeah, you got a, you got an action, fucking do it. And it never was a problem. I never had it once be a problem. And then I had a player at a table once get really upset about it. I was like, whoa, slow down. It, it It's fine. We're cool. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. I, I've been doing this for years now. It hasn't messed anything up. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's just one that I just don't care about. I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, between that and flanking, like, this one really doesn't change the game at all. Like. No. No, I'm not Because you're still burning spell slots. You're still be- burning through sorcerer points. You're still yeah. going through a lot of resources to cast two spells at once. And they can't be two concentration spells because that's not how it works. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's plenty of restrictors already to govern how powerful a player can be on a given turn. Mm-hmm. And really, all that I see that rule is doing is slowing down combat, and that is the last freaking thing <laughs> I want to do at my table because as soon as combat starts, I immediately think, I can't wait for this to be over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because like, would that's you not, want your cleric to true, be like, but... yeah, I'm going to cast Shield of Faith, and um, I'm right next to my friend, but I can't cast Cure Wounds even though they really need help too. So I'm going to cast uh what what what's that what's that cleric spell that the sacred flame. Sacred flame. Yeah, I'm going to cast sacred flame. It's like, yeah. "Oh, okay. Here's a cantrip." It's like, wh- "Why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. what, what's the difference it's going to do? It's not going to unbalance the game." So, yeah, no. Yeah. We're both on the same page there. All right, what's your next one? I have it's a bonus action to use and pull out a potion unless stated otherwise in the potion effects. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I think I do that too. Mm-hmm. And and like, I'll, I usually do have most things as bonus actions, um, mainly because again of the, the speeding up combat thing and um, not wanting people to completely feel like they've wasted their turns. Yeah. Um, because that, that's kind of the thing for me. I'm just like, yeah, whenever I have to spend a whole turn taking out the potion, drinking the potion, all right, now I'm cool to get hit and lose all of that in the next turn. Yeah. Um, the only thing that goes against that is if you're administering a potion to someone else, like a fallen PC or something. Oh, yeah. That's an action. action. Yeah. 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 But it's still a free action for me. Well, part of it's still part of that action. I won't say free action. It's still part of that action to pull it out of whatever it was on. Um, usually yeah. I tell my players, like, just write down that you have, like, up to three things on your belt, and those are just free actions you can grab. Ooh. Ooh, I really like that idea. Because, like, if it takes 
if it's in your backpack, <laughs> you know, where your tent yeah, is, but like, you, then that might take some like, time to get you, out. We Everybody knows that when they had a backpack in school or whatever, they had that one pocket that was always for the quick get things. At least I did. Yeah. I, I think everybody did that. Uh, it's And like, yeah, I kind of oh, like yeah, that idea. It's like, oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you have, I like that idea. Like you get three things. Three mm-hmm. items that you can just swap out. And, like, I'd even go, like, it's a stack. Like, if you've got a bunch of health potions, I'm going to believe that when you take one out, you'll be able to replace it after the next combat. Oh, yeah. So, I really like that idea. I might I might use that. I also apply that to weapons, too. Because, like, I mean, if you look at any kind of mini, they have, like, a scroll on them. They have a health potion on them. They have a little p- pouch on them. Yeah. And they have a dagger on them. So, I'm like, okay, you can have... Two weapons, and then you have three slots, essentially. That's free action, no matter what you're doing, to be able to draw it out. So that could be either a potion of some sort, a scroll, or it could even be another weapon. So, like, if you're a dagger with a bunch of... If you're a dagger, if you're a rogue with a bunch of daggers on them, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use my venom dagger, and then my next turn, I'm going to use my dagger of healing, and then on my next turn, I'm going to just use my plus two dagger, and on my next turn, I'm going to use my dragon dagger. I will say I make them drop it. Oh yeah, no, I'm not uh, saying I, like be, because because like uh, for me, stowing is a lot more labor intensive than drawing something. Oh yeah, um, no, 100. percent So like, I, I'll tell them like you could you can drop it and you would have to pick it up again. Uh, but yeah, you you can you can just swap that out. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's another one that I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, my next one, I'm actually rather proud of because it involves in-world lore. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's uh, health potions are guaranteed to be full health if they are stamped or approved by the Arcane Brotherhood. I I, uh, stole this from you. I 100% used this. Mm -hmm. Um, In my world, the Arcane Brotherhood is still trying to recruit from Valindra and other very big bads stemming from their organization to become bad guys. And so they're trying Mm -hmm. to make it up by uh, regulating health potions in the world. And so they mm-hmm. now sell to magic shops everywhere and regular shops, alchemists and everything, um, stamped of approval health potions. And so if you have a common health potion that has that stamp on the bottom of it, you're going to get 10 hit points back. Yep. So the fun thing about this is that if players find one that isn't stamped, they roll for it. Mm-hmm. Or if they make ones, because that's totally a thing they can do, or if they find an alchemist that lives in their basement and makes them for them, they still have to roll because it's not been approved. It hasn't gone through rigorous testing. So it's it's still a gamble. So it's not taking away the complete mm-hmm. option of, well, this health potion might not be as good as you think it is. But it's like, well, why not? Because like that idea to me in general, like you pay 50 gold for a a common health potion yeah. to possibly get three hit points back. Yeah. Well, uh, well, it's plus four, so, right? No, so plus it'd be two. Seven. Oh, so it'd be, it'd be four. Two. Four max that you'd get out because it's 2d4 plus two. Mm-hmm. So that's just insane to me. And so it's like, yeah, no, these are 100% approved. And it also allowed a lot of fun times in <laughs> playing with health potions because there is this particular uh poison in the game that looks and tastes exactly like a health potion however it poisons you (laughs) 
Um, and you don't know it until you get into combat or something like that. But it's like a delayed poison. And I remember it's like they went into uh, the Nasher's hideout and they're like, oh, there's a bunch of health potions in here. I'm like, yeah, some of them are stamped. Some of them aren't. And they're like, oh, okay, well, let's take them all. And so they're like about to go in this room and they're like, oh, we know there's some bad guys in there. Hang on. Let me drink a potion real quick. And I'm like, which one are you drinking? He's like, um, I'm not missing too much. So I guess one of the unstamped ones. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So yeah, you didn't get too much health out of it, but you're feeling all right. He's like, oh, okay. Carry on into the room. And suddenly the person who he has like. Your appendix explodes. Uh, yeah. All the, I remember this too because Bertram was actually bonded with him at the same time. So if he took damage, Bertram took damage. And all of a sudden, Bertram's like, why oh, am I yeah. hurting? What is happening? <laughs> it was a great moment. But that kind of allows for situations like that to happen and for players to kind of second guess anything that hasn't been approved. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fun. It's one of my favorite uh, house rules that I got in there. Yeah, no. I, I, as soon as you told me that one, I instantly fell in love with it. I loved the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I. What's funny is like I don't usually do that many health potions to begin with. Um, so when they get one, I'm just like, yeah, I just you get the full thing. It's fine. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I neglect giving my players things that will heal them. <laughs> I'm like, you guys handle that. You do what you ever you do. Yeah. Um. My next one is uh, no bonus numbers. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's some rules in D&D that are like uh, like a half cover thing where it's like you get plus two to your AC or uh, like certain combat positioning things that give you a plus two here and there. I've I in my games, I've completely abandoned like plus twos and whatnot. If I'm going to give someone a plus anything, I'm just going to tell them advantage. If they're going to have any sort of problem with it, they're going to get disadvantage. So I essentially get rid of like one of the, the covers and all and like you can just shoot normal. Uh, but if they're behind uh, like they have the half cover, I'm like, you have disadvantage. Um, and any any unless it's like a power that a character uh, or like a character has where it's just like oh they get this bonus but most of those bonuses are dice mm-hmm. which still fits into it um but yeah I, I i felt like it was really clunky that they made this advantage and disadvantage system and we're like this is what we're doing and then still had some number bonuses and you know Stuff yeah. like that in there. It was really weird, and it didn't feel right. No, it that's felt like a, it that's kind, a I'm great like, point. Yeah, so like any anytime anyone would have any sort of bonus to anything, it is either advantage or disadvantage. Um, I mean, like hilariously, I was that, trying to remember why I don't remember what the bonuses are. It's because I literally have sticky notes covering that entire section of my DM screen. <laughs> um, but if I lift those. Okay, yeah, so plus five if they've got three quarters, plus two if they got half cover, and if they got total cover, they can't be targeted. I mean, I think that's... Yeah, yeah so no. that, that basically just goes to uh, plus two is just thrown out of there and it's just normal. Plus five is disadvantage, and if you can't hit them, you can't hit them. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just as easy as it was to me for doing that because even when explaining it to new players it was really clunky where I'm giving them advantage or I'm giving them disadvantage. Then I'm like, Oh, well wait, because that goblins behind some hay, they get a plus two 
to their AC than normal, and it just it it felt weird. Yeah. So I just I just go with that. I just have it instead of me having to look at what the plus is or anything or having to make up one. I can just say that. Yeah, it, it does get kind of clunky. I 100% get that. And like the only time I ever even look at that is when someone specifically says, I'm taking cover behind this corner. It's like, okay, you're mm-hmm. you're not... Because usually if my players take, quote, cover, they're going fully behind a wall. Like they're basically saying, I'm not going to be able to be targeted. Like yeah. they never say like, oh, I'm just going to go duck behind this thing. Because it's like, I have... It's not like I don't set up those kind of situations. There are opportunities for that. But my players would rather take out the opportunity entirely as opposed to just adding two to the RC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, as a player, I would never take that. I was like, I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I play characters like Char, who just <laughs> go running and yelling, I got dragon blood, bitch. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what's your What's your next one? Um, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a home rule or if it's just a variant of how you do things, but the way I do crits, it's a uh, max yep, that, damage that my plus next dice. So like, I if, love it. if you roll it... 2d6, if you're rolling a great sword, you roll 2d6 plus four. Well, that's going to be 12 plus four. And then that's going to be 16. And then you roll 2d6 and that's your damage. Yep. Cause yep. Ooh, and boy. again, it works uh, for it, the other it side. It goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and like the, the a couple weeks ago in my Avernus game, if they hadn't been in a certain place, um, my best friend Kyle's character would have been outright dead because something crit him. <laughs> From full HP, it would have instantly killed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, where this gets um, really dangerous is with magic. Because all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're rolling 66s and all of a sudden you're dealing like a ton of damage on one hit. And it's like, I, ooh. I would actually disagree. I think where he gets most dangerous is with rogues. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I do it with their sneak attack dice, too. Same. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my rogue constantly asks me, he's like, uh, do I get sneak attack with this? And I'm like, yeah, you do. And then he's like, cool. And then he just, he's like, hang on, I have to do math. And then we wait there for like 20 seconds. He's like, okay, it's going to be 74. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, he's not looking good. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, another time I almost outright killed Uthal, uh, with an assassin because he crit on a sneak attack with a poisoned blade. Oh yeah. I mean, that's one oh, of the reasons. Oh my God, that was bad. Why going against the, uh, the the Dark Veil Syndicate essentially was because everyone was a rogue. It was so dangerous for all my players because yeah. everyone had sneak attack. It was just so so scary for them. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's the main reason I started doing that one was when I read the rules and I'm like, so wait, let me get this straight. You could crit and just get two plus your modifier. Mm-hmm. Or one, like I'm like, no, that's stupid. And and back in fourth edition times, like crits were just blowing up left and right. Where it's just like, oh yeah, you do max damage, and because you've got this weapon, it does this billion other things, and you know it causes this explosion to happen thirty miles away. <laughs> it's like yeah. it had some crazy stuff. So I'm it's, like, let's still do that. Let's have fun. Yeah, it's a five percent chance. It's not going to break your game that hard, and if it does, it creates drama. <laughs> it does and, and and that's the thing like i've i've had it work 
uh, in both ways where like, because I do those crits, I've had tables where somebody rolls a crit and they just keep rolling this damage and everyone's like, Oh my God, how much is he going to do? And then like, it just outright kills what they're fighting and everyone cheers. And then I've had it the other way where they're fighting something big and I go, it rolled a crit and the whole table goes, Oh no, God, this is it. We're done. (laughs) Like I, I love those two extremes at the table. Um, and I wouldn't get that with the way that crits are done as written. And I think they're boring. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, it it, it just feels bad, man. You know, if you roll those two ones, it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. I, I really I, I've been I've only been in uh I've only been in one game I think where someone used the rules as written crits and that happened to me where I rolled two ones and I just looked at it and I looked at them and I looked at it and I looked at them like man that was rewarding uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm just like uh with that natural twenty that'll be five damage even though the dice five. I'm rolling is literally more than that number right there yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, do you have any other, uh, house rules that you had on your list? I have a couple more. Oh, okay. Let, let's keep going with them. Yeah. So I have, uh, crit fails, um, because we've been playing Pathfinder now for a bit. I've actually kind of incorporated how we did crit fails there. Um, but I've been thinking about changing it recently, mm-hmm. but, uh, crit fails is okay. usually confirmed by rolling again versus the AC. Okay, so so real quick, that uh, if I remember correctly, that's not a Pathfinder thing. That is our old GM's thing. Oh, okay, that well then, was, because yeah. of our GM, when we were playing <laughs> Pathfinder, I liked that. I liked that it kind of gave you a second chance of like, well, did you really? How badly did you miss? Um, but recently, because of and this, because of actual Pathfinder two, I've been thinking about adjusting that to where, oh, um, if you are attacking and you roll a one still add up your modifier and your bonuses and if it's still 10 below their ac then you crit fail oh that would be so much easier than doing the roll the confirm thing yeah because at that point the higher level you are the harder it is for you to crit fail because you've been doing this for a while yeah and i've been thinking about changing it to that that's interesting. That could be, that could, that could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only problem I have with that though is cause like, I do like throwing lower level things at players, uh, but in like big numbers. Um, and that would give a bigger margin of them to crit fail over the rest of them. And I roll a lot of ones. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Cause like, it, it's not like Pathfinder two, where if you do roll 10 below, then you met like you crit fail, but it's more yeah. like if you crit fail and that number ends up being 10 below their AC. Yeah. But I haven't played with I've that actually yet. Recently, I don't know. I've actually recently just kind of stopped doing the crit fail thing of like something terrible happening. Like sometimes I'll do it. I'll still have them roll to confirm because yeah, I, I most of my crit fails have been pretty nasty back in the day. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, I forgot that, that's one I, that I did too. You know, I guess that's a little bit of a house rule too, is that usually if someone crit fails, then an enemy nearby can use their reaction to opportunity attack them. Yeah, because pretty much your momentum uh, yeah. got you launched forward too far to where you you left yourself open. Well, uh, if I remember correctly, crit fail is actually a, a variant rule to begin with. It I is. Think yeah. as, I think in rules as written, it's not there. Um, something else carrying on because I have two more after that. 
Um, I do mm. the grittier health regen when it comes to playing. So like you use hit dice to regain any health and that's at short or long rest. You don't regain all your health at long rest and you mm. regain half your hit dice at a long rest. Um, mm. I've been doing this ever since my players were level one. And honestly, I way prefer it to like, and your long rest and you're back at full health. Mm. Yeah. It's just, it's just kind of how it's worked out. And plus it's given me an opportunity for my next house rule, which is actually my newest one. Um, Ooh. it's adjusting song of rest for bards. Now, usually okay. song of rest, if I can pull up. I had it pulled up just a second ago. There it is. Or maybe I didn't. I don't know. Usually Song of Rest pretty much lets you at short rest roll your Bardic Inspiration die and everyone gets hit points equal to what you roll. You don't use up a Bardic Inspiration. You just get to do that whenever you do a short rest as a Bard. How mm -hmm. I have adjusted Song of Rest is during short rests, you can roll your Bardic Inspiration and everyone gets hit dice back equal to the Bardic die rolled. Oh, okay. That's cool. So at higher levels, getting 12 hit points back from a D12 of Bardic Inspiration yeah. is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so I'm like, well, mm -hmm. how the hell is this going to be anywhere near helpful? And so we kind of shop talked it a bit between me and and the bard in our group. And I'm like, well, okay, what if we, because we do depend on those hit dice so much, what if we do allow you to regen their hit dice that way? Mm -hmm. and she and I both loved it and we tested it out when we were playing it's great it really gives more incentive to like take more short rests too because then that'll allow people to heal better um, but not to the yeah. point where it's like well we're going to short rest for four times in a row here <laughs> like they don't yeah. do that but um, that's that's my last house rule um, I like that that's cool yeah but pretty much I, I guess I Everything else, oh, if it's against raw, it's case by case situation. Yeah, and that's kind of what I want to talk about here at the end. Is like, gen generally, when you make a house rule, what what is the reasoning behind it? Like, I know for me, it's usually about just kind of fixing up some clunky things or making things more exciting or just simplifying some stuff, which is funny to say in fifth edition since it's simplified. Mm -hmm. But um, like, what what's generally your motivation behind it um usually it's for two reasons like either for the story or for mechanics um story mm -hmm. reason being like persuasion check just passing regardless of what they rolled because they spoke their yeah. argument so well like no i don't care that will pass <laughs> well well like for for me now with with that um I just like set the DC super high. I'm just like, they would never do this in a million years. The DC's like 32 or 35 or something like that. They're not going to, they're not going to change their mind on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that one. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is like mechanics wise, like what I did with song of rest, like if a class gives you a thing and that's what you've been leveling up for, but it seems, turns out to be super lackluster, like Song of Rest mm -hmm. or like the Bardic or Sorcerer Capstone where it's like, yeah, you get a Bardic inspiration back when you enter combat without any in your pool. It's like, okay, cool. Great. That's fine. Yeah. Um, or like if uh, Paladin or Cleric spell lists don't thematically match the character that much, 
um, then I'm 100% down to adjust those spell lists that they get from being a paladin or cleric. Oh, okay. Um, to better match the character. Like, Bertram yeah. is a paladin of um, vengeance, technically, but he's a paladin of the Raven Queen. So I gave him, like, darkness, and I gave him a couple other things that would be more matching her theme versus mm-hmm. the theme of that specific paladin. So nice. all in all, like it kind of adds up to being more story-related reasons. Um, but mm-hmm. there does come a time every now and then where it's just very technical, like, wow, this was this was not a good choice. Let's just ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, listeners, if you have uh, some house rules that you want to share, uh, or if you think that we're just destroying this game, uh, <laughs> let us know at yes. difficultyclass at gmail.com. We'd like to, we'd like to hear what you've got and maybe do a revisited version of this where we talk about uh, your uh, uh, house rules and how they affect the game and whatnot. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, or even if you have ideas of wanting to implement them but don't know how. I mean, I brought that up to Trevor earlier oh, yeah. with the flanking thing, and we kind of talked it out. So that that could be something that we could help you with too. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's round out the show with a listener question. This one comes from our good friend, Dusty Hill, from the Shouting in Place podcast. Hello, friends. Uh, I wanted to bring an idea I've been thinking about. Uh, What's a movie that you would love to turn into a campaign for 5e? For instance, I would love to turn Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure into a fun time-hopping campaign exploring the different uh, time periods of Faerun and other places. I hope you all are doing well. Uh, Stay awesome, Dusty. Uh, also, I'm going to plug Dusty's thing real quick. Like I said, he has a podcast, Shouting in Place, mm-hmm. but uh, and he's who we teamed up with last month to do, do the t-shirts. They're doing another team up this month uh, with Respawn Aim Fire, another podcast that we've mentioned on here before, uh, and they're uh, donating to uh, Extra Life. So uh, go check that out on their social feeds, and you can find it really easily. But, Allie, what movie would you want to turn into a 5e campaign? So... <laughs> Now, they already kind of did what my my old answer used to be because I would love to turn the thing into a campaign. Um, But possibly that might be happening already. We'll we'll find out this month. Hey, guys, it's September already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jesus, it is. (laughs) Yep. Um, But now that that's kind of been happening, I've been thinking about that question again. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I really like horror stuff, but Cabin in the Woods. Um, oh my god. If you oh haven't no. seen Cabin in the Woods, it's a wonderful horror, and I'll put that in quotes movie, um, where essentially there's this setup that all various countries have to do to appease the old gods, right? Um, and they have to sacrifice people in a certain order. And not to terribly spoil the movie too much, but it's all set up very convoluted, and it's supposed to go a specific way. Yeah. Um, the, and it's playing off of tropes from uh, classic 80s so horror many movies tropes. where it's like there needs to be a virgin and, and, uh, and a, a, a strong heroic one and uh, someone on drugs. <laughs> and if they don't get those tropes, they will put it into the game. They'll put it into the system. Yeah. Uh, they'll adjust things slightly to make it that way. And the game itself that, has that such an amazing just sudden left turn like three-fourths of the way through the movie while still keeping to that horror Eldritch kind of feel. I love it that much. I would love to turn that into just the wackiest <laughs> like horror game campaign. I I could see you having fun 
combining Cabin in the Woods with the Tomb of Horrors. Yes. Because, oh my God, that like, last half. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, I think, is going to be kind of out there, but it's one that Tar and I have talked about for years. We have wanted to turn... Dwayne Johnson's Hercules movie into a campaign <laughs> for a long, long time. Yeah, you've talked about that on the show too before. <laughs> oh, have I? Okay, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So, it, it, listeners, if you're not familiar with this uh, stunning piece of cinema, um, it, it, essentially it's like, okay, Dwayne Johnson is Hercules, but he's not a god. He's not the son of a god. He's just a dude. He's a really big buff dude, but he's just a dude. And his adventuring party is what is actually making him look mystical. They're doing a bunch of stuff in the background and unseen and whatnot and making it look like he did it. So that everyone is like, oh shit, we got to get Hercules. We got to pay his ass to get over here and kill some stuff. <laughs> and um, we've wanted to do a campaign like that where there's an adventuring party who's all focused about making the legend of this one character's, uh, uh, one player's character, uh, that is what progresses them through the story and everything. And it would have to be a, it'd have to be a very specific group for it to work because. You know, there's the whole problem. It was like, well, uh, players trying to make themselves spotlit is a problem. And this is a campaign fully around that. That entire concept. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it it would have to be done with a certain group and everybody understands what's going on and be on board with it. Uh, But I would love to see what a group of D&D adventuring people do with that style of party. And I, I... just thinking about it gets me giddy. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean those are the best kind of movies where they if if you if you find yourself sitting there going like, well, what kind of players are these guys? And then you kind of fill in the roles and you realize that you're kind of half wanting to play this movie instead of watching it. Those mm. are the best kind of movies to to think about that, when you're building your games. Um, that's been happening with certain scenes in Lovecraft Country. Oh my god, uh, yes. I'm not going to spoil anything. But like, there's been a few scenes where I'm just like, they're a really good adventuring party. Yeah. They, they <laughs> solved that puzzle really fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and like, there, there's, there's even been like a few scenes where I'm just like, that would be a really cool climactic into like an adventure or like a, a, a fight like that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I love seeing media and thinking about like, how would I do this into a D and D thing? But that, that Hercules one, that's the one that has been there for the longest. I actually talked about that like last week with some friends about like, Oh yeah, here, let me, let me tell you the entire story of this Dwayne Johnson movie <laughs> and why it'd make a great D and D campaign. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that is going to do it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, the best way to support it is by leaving a review on the podcast service of your choice. Whatever you're listening to right now, you can just go in there, leave an awesome five-star review, tell them, that, hey, there's some cool people here. You might like them. I don't know. I'm not you, but be nice. Um, <laughs> uh, if you want to keep up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Difficulty Class or on Instagram at Difficulty Podcast, where we post certain things here and there and have some fun. And you can see a bunch of the stuff that we retweet and the other uh, podcasts in the community that we're talking to at the time. Uh, And if you would like to send in your own questions, topics, suggestions, stories, whatever, 
Send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com, and we will probably talk about them on a future episode. So, until next week, have a good game. Thank you.